This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. On this edition of the Paltrowcast, I spoke with three successful singers, Howie Duro of the Backstreet Boys, Robin Wilson of the Jim Blossoms, and Danny O'Reilly of the Coronas. First up is my July 2019 chat with Howie Duro, or Howie D for short. Howie recently released Which One Am I? A family-friendly album which features the first single, No Hablo Español. Related to this, Howie will be performing a show called Howie D back in the day at the Rose Theater in Omaha, Nebraska from January 31st through February 16th of 2020. He opened up about this project and other facets of his career. He was an absolute pleasure to speak with. I want to ask you first about the album, Which One Am I? How long had it been in the works for? Well, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate the support. Um, Yeah, no, I'm very proud of this record, Uh, Which One Am I? It was uh, something that I started uh, the journey about five years ago. I um, decided I was I was just having, you know, I was trying to be a, a father as much as I could be on my downtime, downtime with my kids, uh, especially my oldest one at the time. And I just really found it hard to be able to sit and, and relate to him with, with music that was out there. Um, I just felt like it was, it was definitely just not really enjoyable, not really fun. And I didn't understand why, because there were so many great other things I was able to do with him, including going to the, you know, seeing movies, you know, like the Wreck-It Ralphs, the Toy Stories, all those other great fun, you know, things to do. But, you know, but I just music-wise, I had a hard time, you know, connecting with him on the stuff that was out there for their age. And one day when I was looking at my concerts, um, and our fans who had, you know, grown up with us now having kids bringing their kids to our concerts, I'm like, okay, here it is. I'm going to do something that's, that's enjoyable for both generations. And I did. I'm very proud. I actually uh, started, like I say, the process about five years ago. I, I got together with two great writers out of New York, uh, Tor Hyam and Lisa St. Lou. And uh, they're both great writers. Tor was a Grammy-nominated uh, children's CD writer uh, a couple of years back. And Lisa St. Lou is, is a um, performer on Broadway. She's done great shows as producers and, and several other shows. And I just, um, we connected we started talking over the phone and for two hours we, we got to know each other and then we're like, all right, what are you going to write about? And they're like, your life story pretty much is a really good start right there. And they're like, you have so many great things that, you know, uh, issues that you went through as a little kid that are still relatable to kids nowadays. And so we started writing about things that I went through issues like, you know, worrying issues about being, you know, shy, uh, being my older sister's shadow. And, you know, the first single a song called no hablo Españoles." you know, based about, you know, about me as a kid growing up and my mother being Spanish and my dad being Scottish, Irish, Scandinavian, two different nationalities, but totally looked, uh, you know, as you look at me, you, know, you definitely guess the Hispanic part. You don't guess all the other stuff. And so a lot of times people would just automatically start speaking to me in Spanish and I had to learn really quickly to know all the Espanol because unfortunately as a little kid, I didn't know Spanish. My mother was of that generation that didn't want the kids coming to America with an accent and being discriminated. So we didn't learn Spanish. My in my household. So as a little kid, I, I was constantly searching for my identity, you know, who I was. And so I put it into a CD 
and uh, you know my kids love it. Um, the CD has inspired us from there to create a musical, which I'm very proud of. I'll be debuting it uh, next uh, January into February at the Omaha uh, Rose Theater, Omaha, Nebraska Rose Theater, uh, Howie D back in the day. And um, it's just something that's taken on a life of its own. I mean, the, 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 the music from the CD, uh, the musical, there's been so many other talks about, you know, possibly even doing our own podcast one day, TV stuff. You know, it's definitely taken on a character of its own, this little Howie D guy. Do you remember which song you wrote for it first? Yes, um, it was a song, which is kind of funny because, ironically, when we were when we were after we made the CD, and we were like, "Wow, this is a musical!" Here, we started writing a musical. One of the first songs we did, and this is what really inspired it, was a song called "Back in the Day," uh, the the title of the the musical. And uh, it was like, you know, I'm gonna take you on a story, you know, go back in time, you know, back when I was nine, you know, and it just talks about all the different things that I, you know, kind of went through, and I'm like, it's almost like a a setup to here's here's the story you're about to hear now. When we wrote the musical, uh, actually, originally, we at first had it for the musical, but then we were writing it and it didn't fit. And then, because it was kind of strange, to make a long story short, we were writing a musical backwards. Uh, we decided we had all this music and we wanted to write a story about this person, um, but it didn't, all the, the, the storyline didn't weave through that well to make it totally, totally understandable. So we went back to the drawing board, started all over, and we've made another musical out of it. And out of that, we have three songs that are actually still in the musical. And that is one song that, did, that still made it to the, before the chopping block. It totally has that, you know, kind of, we wrote on a piano. We wrote actually all the songs on a piano at first in New York. I was there for a week and we did 12 songs. And by saying that we finished up a lot of the lyrics when I got back home and then I came out to New York and within three days we recorded the whole record. But once we got a band to record with us in the studio, the album just took on many directions and many lights of colors that came to it with the band. Back to Me was your first solo album, as far as I know. Do you look at this as a continuation of that part of your career or just something entirely different? Well, it's a continuation in a, in a part where it's getting to know people, you know, Howie, Howie Drell, Howie D. You know, and I, I feel like I'm definitely, you know, a part of the Backstreet Boys and that is a part of me. Um, but there also is a lot of things that, you know, some people may not know about Howie unless you're a really hardcore fan. So I think that's why, you know, each of us within the group, we've always allowed each other and support each other and, and spreading our wings and doing individual stuff. Uh, we know that, you know, all of us know that Backstreet Boys is not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, either if any of these projects really took off massively, we've all, we have such a bond together that we know this is our true, uh, our life. This is what got us here. But at the same time, it does allow us to, you know, express some of our individuality that we may not be able to do within the Backstreet Boys. And I feel like both of my CDs have been al- allowed me to do that, especially this one here. This one is totally off the charts from any Backstreet <laughs> CD that you would hear. Because I'm actually really, you know, I had a mission to make it a, a true family album. I mean, the only, the first uh, uh, song off the record, which is the title of the album, Which One Am I?, is the, is the only song where I was really influenced by the guys. Every other song I was truly was influenced by my, my, my family and my, my life as a little kid. But, but the first album, I did want to pay tribute and homage to my guys of Extra Boys because they are a major reason why I'm here. And, and uh, I was able to make fun out of a, a little uh, song that, we, that I did called Which One Am I, which loosely is based around the idea of people constantly, first of all, not knowing which band I'm in. When I say the name, then they don't know who I am of the group. So I figured I'd explain it really quickly in a song. 
and a lightheartedness. Well, something that I felt about the Backstreet Boys for a long time, and I think this is a positive thing, is there's a lot of parallels between your group and the Beach Boys, and that you both started off as, you know, a pop mainstream thing, and then you guys started to do things that were more artistic, but the bottom line is that when you play live, it's going to sell out, it's going to be in an amphitheater, and you pretty much know every song. Every song was a hit in some context. Does the Beach Boys comparison come up much? Wow, I mean, that's that's amazing. You know, the only, only time we've been able to have the, the comparison is when we've had to defend our name, Boys, and our, and our title of the group. Um, and we've actually used them as a comparison, and the fact that people have always said, well, you're going to be, you know, Backstreet Men eventually, you know, you're going to take the boys off, and we're like, no, why, why do we have to? We, we always say, like, you know, the Beach Boys never took it off, the, the Beastie Boys never took them off, the Pet Shop Boys, why do we have to? But I think, you know, there's a stigma that kind of comes along with us being, you know, in, in the teenage years. Um, but that's really cool that you say that, you know, it's a, a story there um, that definitely is probably very, very similar parallel lines of us both starting off as, you know, as in a young, you know, uh, band that did, you know, mostly probably attract the, the, the teen girls. Uh, but then as, you know, time's gone on, you know, we have evolved into, you know, people just hopefully just accepting us as a band, regardless of the name and hopefully just appreciating the music. And then somebody who would go deep through your discography as one of those people, I do remember when you had a co-write on a Together album. Was that the first time that you'd ever written for another artist? <laughs> wow, you totally jogged my memory on that one. Uh, I forgot about that, actually. Um, yeah, no, no. Um, actually, I had, I've had i always tried to get involved in writing um, in, in the early years of the Backstreet Boys. Obviously, some of our, I mean, I'd say the majority of our biggest hits have come from a Swedish camp, uh, Max Martin and his uh, team out in Sweden and I are just amazing writers and there's, we definitely would never try to compete with them. But at the same time, you know, as you said earlier with us growing, you know, one of the things that did, you know, we wanted to, sh you know, show our, our musicality is by writing, um, you know, in the early years, especially we allowed uh, the hit makers to do it um, just because we were still learning. But, you know, as we got more and more seasoned and you see things and you're able to experience, you know, what it's like to understand a hit song, we did learn a lot. So I definitely tried to, you know, educate myself and, and develop my writing skills. And, and I'm very proud of that. You know, I did write several songs, not only for Backstreet on the different albums over the years, but I've also wrote for uh, Mandy Moore on one of her first albums. Uh, I had a uh, song on Luis Fonzi's, uh, the guy who did Despacitos on one of his first albums. Uh, I had even a song on JoJo and Casey from Jodeci. I had a song on one of their records, um, as well as, like you said, the guys from Together. Um, so I've been very proud to be able to, you know, write not only just for myself, but for the group and for other artists out there. Just And to see that they want to have one of your songs is, is a really cool, gratifying feeling about, you know, your who you are as becoming a writer. And speaking of songs that you've written for the Backstreet Boys, one of your fans, Sarah Costa or Sarah Brand, not sure which name she's using at the moment, she asked why you guys don't perform What Makes You Different live. Uh, is there a reason to that, or it's just there's too many songs on the set list as it is? No, believe me, I wish we could. That is still one of my favorite songs that I wrote, and I still have a mission to hopefully one day get that for a, uh, like a Special Olympics, because I think it's such a great song that would be, uh, just hits right on those, just, I don't know, the everything about just a person being beautiful inside. But yeah, no, unfortunately, there is a lot of songs I wish we would add into our sets. Um, but that is, um, you know, wasn't obviously one of the, the biggest hits. And when we're doing a, an, a show, even with an hour and 45 minutes, 
it's even hard to get all the hits in there. We have to make medleys and there's a lot of, you know, debating going on and how to make things work out for everybody. But we try the best that we can to make an entertaining show. But maybe there's eventually another Howie solo show. I'll try to definitely squeeze that one in. That'll be all the Howie appreciated songs. (laughs) Sure. And is it true that a way for music you found success in real estate development with a company called Sweet D Incorporated? Or is that just Wikipedia fiction? That is true. I'm very proud to say, actually, uh, I have an older brother of mine that's uh, almost 10 years older than me. And uh, when the group started making money in the later 90s, mid-90s, he wanted to make sure I didn't turn into one of these VH1 behind the music stories where it's all his money 10 years from now. And so I was very blessed that he kind of guided me into real estate. And we have a developing company. And we've developed, I think it's now like seven, eight condos now, uh, two hotels, and uh, about six homes, I believe, including my home that I just built. So it's been fun. It's a little side extra uh, passion. Uh, we still have some real estate that we're planning to do in the future with some new, some more buildings coming up here. But it's it's been a fun little side creative pa- project that I think a lot of people are like, what? Really? Well, I'm actually really doing this. But, you know, I've just been blessed that I have an older brother that, that helped guide me. And, and, and uh, I find that when I'm building a project, a condo or whatever it may be, I mean, with all my traveling around the world, I'm able to bring so many cool ideas into a project. So it's just, once again, another creative outlet. And besides the fact that you have a very personal, cool new solo album that you found success in real estate that you are writing for other artists, is there anything that you wish more people knew about you? (laughs) Um, Well, besides hopefully being a cool dad and a husband to my beautiful wife, Lee, and and my uh, also a father uh, to my two boys, James and, and Holden. Um, actually, believe it or not, I like to do a lot of acting. And that's also some, uh, eventually one day down the line, that hopefully I'll be able to find some time to express those little uh, creative little bug that I have in me still in there. Uh, I'm excited about you know performing in my musical. That's going to give me a chance to do uh, some acting coming up soon. But I, I still have a passion as a little kid. You know, Growing up in Orlando, you had to pretty much do a little bit of all the the singing, the acting, and dancing to get your break. And I got very blessed at 19 years old to have a break in music, but I didn't know what I was going to get my break in. And so I really developed my acting chops to hopefully one day do some acting in films or in television. So uh, hopefully they'll see me eventually on the screen somewhere. Uh, great. So in closing, any last words for the kids? I um, just want to say thanks to all the kids. I hope they enjoy this album as much as I did making it. I'm very proud of it. And uh, hopefully they'll have some great, memories that they can create with their families, with their parents and uh, our brothers and sisters. And uh, look forward to hopefully seeing any of them that can make it out to the uh, Howie D back in the days, Omaha, Nebraska at the Rose Theater, uh, end of January into early February. And for anybody out there that wants to know more information about what I've got going on, uh, just go to HowieD.net. It has all the information. Next up is my chat with Danny O'Reilly, frontman of the Coronas. A multi-platinum selling band from Ireland, The Coronas has its sixth album slated for a spring 2020 release. The latest single released by The Coronas is Find the Water, which Danny and band recorded in Los Angeles. Danny and I spoke about the band's interesting history with the U.S. and what else is ahead for the group. First, I want to ask you about the forthcoming album you have coming out. Uh, Find the Water was released in late May. Where are you at with the new album? Yeah, we're about uh, halfway through it. We've got five songs recorded. Um, and we're sort of, we're doing a little bit different than we've done with albums before. And that uh, we're doing it in different stages. You know, most of the records we've done in the past, we've done it in the studio and done it all in one body of work with one producer. 
But with this record, we're working with a couple of different people. Um, we have done a few songs with Rob Kerwin in LA, which is amazing. Rob, who did Hozier's last couple of records and has, has done some other amazing stuff. And uh, we've also worked with a, a new producer in Dublin called Cormac Butler, who's who's really, really cool and has worked with Codeline and All Twins and, and done some, some great stuff with Irish artists. And, and there's a couple other people we're looking at too, and we're basically just finishing off the writing of the album. And, and, uh, and yeah, I suppose the, the plan is to release another single in September and, and then between now and Christmas, finish off the album, make sure we're happy with what we've got and, and aim to release the album, you know, probably February, March next year. If I've done my research correctly, you've been to the States three times in the last two years. Was it the plan all along to be so U.S.-centric? After we started our own label with the, with the last record, we could see a bit of progress in the States, and, and we felt like it was, every time we went back there, we could see something growing, and, and the numbers were getting better, and, you know, playing up through, through venues in, in New York, for example, we were moving up through two different size capacity rooms, and we could feel it growing maybe a little bit more than, than in other countries. And we said, you know what, let's, let's go for it here. Something is happening, you know? So we did, it was a, a, a slight decision, but also it was taken out of our hands because we're going so well. And, and it made sense for us to go back there. And, you know, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it was sort of a decision we made. I mean, we, we, we had done a lot more in, in the UK, but you know, the UK has, has been good to us and, the big cities has been good to us in London, say Manchester and, and and maybe in Glasgow. And apart from that, you know, we didn't really feel like it was worth our while touring the length and breadth of, of the UK, you know, whereas America we could see things building and it it just it just it seems to be a, a more a more worthwhile uh, you know, way to spend our time. Well, an interesting thing that I read is that you performed to seventeen thousand people in Ireland recently at a big arena show and there's been a lot of irish bands over the years who are playing festivals and big arenas all over europe and then when they come to the states they're doing kind of a a packed club where it might be people from ireland you know that's the kind of thing with the band ash where they had all these hits over the years and then over the states they didn't really have much it was more of a niche thing so i'm curious when you're playing in the states is it a totally different set list and a totally different vibe for you when you're playing live? It is, you know, and it, it's sort of, we've gotten to the stage where in Ireland we built up through all the venues to get to that stage where we're playing now at arenas. So we played in every size room. It wasn't, it wasn't like an overnight thing in, in Ireland where we had a big hit and we went from playing in tiny clubs to, to playing in huge arenas. We literally built up our fan base through every size venue over the, over the last few years, you know, and so it, it still feels okay for us to do different size venues in different countries. And, you know, as I said, in, in the UK and, and then some cities in Europe, we'd be a little bit bigger and we'd be used to playing slightly different size rooms. And as you say, a bit like with Ash, when we go to the States, then there is some smaller rooms as well. And we do adjust the set. Yeah, we, we but as I say, we're used to it from, from when we were building it up in Ireland. And we love the challenge of playing different size rooms and, adjusting our show for, for different size rooms and different types of crowds and and it's funny because in the states maybe people would be more looking to hear our, our new our new stuff you know and i, I had people coming up to us and when we did our last tour and they were like 
Oh my god, I, I just heard your new tunes on Spotify and I, I didn't re- realize you guys had a back catalog of all these records. And uh, so, and then when we go home in Ireland, maybe, you know, they, the crowd might want to hear a mixture of everything, you know, and they'd be calling for some of the older stuff as well. So we adjust the set in that way as well. So when we play in America, it'll be much more more sort of focused on the, on the, on the more recent albums. And, and that's cool for us as well. You know, it gives us a new lease of life and makes us feel like a, a new band, you know? And, uh, so it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a cool way to be. It's cool that we can adjust the set. And I mean, we always pride ourselves on being a good live band that we, we put on the best show we can. We try and get a, a sing along vibe going. We try and get the crowd involved and, and that doesn't change whether it's a big audience or, you know, playing to 12,000 people or playing to, you know, 1200 or, or even smaller, you know? So, we always try and put on an energetic show and, and, and you know the fundamentals of a Corona show will, will will be the same but we do adjust the the production and, and, and the way we approach the shows and and uh, yeah it, it, it's, it's a good challenge and it's a good one to keep us on our toes as well like, you know well away from the music now touring the states is you know old hat to you guys especially that you're doing recording in LA now and mm. as somebody who lives in New York I'm used to you know meeting people from Ireland every day. But for you, yeah. was there a ton of culture shock in assimilating into the States? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, living in L.A., I mean, L.A. is, I mean, that's the thing about the States as well. Is every, every city is, is different to, to each one as well. So, you know, I mean, the, the, there's such a huge difference between New York and L.A., for example, you know. So we, we had spent time in Chicago. We spent a summer there as students and, and, and it's one of our favorite cities. And we love, love that town. And. You know, and then we got back and, and toured there. I remember when we went to, to Lollapalooza just as, as fans back in the day. I remember saying, you know, if we got to play here, this would be amazing, you know. And so there was definitely a moment when, when we started, when we did play that festival last summer that it was like, you know, this is, this, remember when we said that this would be so cool to play it? And definitely the perspective changes as you come back as a band as opposed to just going over and, and, and you know, living there for a couple of months. But... I mean, we spent a lot of time in LA now over the last last little while, and we love it there. Really liked living there. We recorded, and even though it was only you know maybe a month in total, but it was it was a really cool place for us. It felt like felt like yeah, it almost felt like home. You know, and we were living out in Echo Park, and you know, and uh, and now again when we go back to New York in in November, we're going to be there for the residency and work for them for a few days. We'll probably check in for for a couple of weeks and. You know, it's a place that we've gone to visit many times. We've many friends there, and you know, we, we we know it a little bit. I think at this stage, and and we're looking forward to living there. But I suppose the Irish are always welcomed in in America, you know, and and we, we've we felt that way everywhere we've went. So there's always that that thing of, all right, you're Irish, and and straight away it's it's an icebreaker, and and you know, because almost everyone in the states has some connection to Ireland or knows someone who at least second generation Irish or whatever so there's always that affinity there and, and it's always felt like a place that's easy to tour it's probably my favourite place to tour you know um, and as I say it's never boring because every city is, is so unique oh, that's a nice way of looking at everything and then uh, back to the music um, I understand that you're back to being your own record label again you're back to doing the indie thing is that a thing that you hope to do for the rest of your career as opposed to being on a major or is it just one album at a time you're seeing what the best situation is i think yeah it's probably one album at a time i do i do feel like it suits us best and and you know the last, since we started our own label the last three years have, has definitely been our most successful we've definitely toured the most and we've definitely you know 
probably had the most success in Ireland and, and overseas, to be honest. And so it's given us that control. You know, in saying that, I would never rule, rule out, you know, if, if a big label came knocking and, you know, it is a great way to get your music out there. And even though things didn't, when we signed a big record deal to Ireland, you know, maybe five or six years ago now when we moved to London, even longer maybe, um, it, it was a risk that we we knew was a risk, but it was, you know, it was a risk that we, that we thought was worth taking and I don't regret it now, you know, and I would roll the dice again, you know, if, if the right deal came up, you know, that sort of way. So we always go into things where eyes open. We have a very good manager and a very good lawyer. And even when we signed to Ireland, we, we had knew, known the horror stories of, of major labels and, you know, how, you know, 10 bands get signed and you might hear about one of those 10 and the other nine, nothing happens. But, Thankfully, we had a foundation already in Ireland, and we and we you know put stipulations in the contract that if if things didn't work out, we would get our masters back and we would get to continue and on our own little path and and you know so as long as you're you're sort of clever in your business, and I think you know you can you can still you know it's not it's not even though for a lot of bands who sign to majors, if it doesn't work out, it's the end of everything. I think we're one of the few that that sort of are lucky because we we had a bit of a foundation already and we had the backstop of being a very successful band in Ireland, you know. So we had that foundation there and that live following there. So I think we could we could possibly roll the dice again if if the right label came across. And, and we do continue to li- to license the album out to different labels uh, across the world. You know, even in Europe we have a different label. In the UK we have a different label. And, so we're we're open to that, you know, and I think that that's worked well for us, and and we never know what will happen, but definitely we take it one album at a time. Find the water's getting a great reaction, and we're just going to try and concentrate on on what we can control, and that's making the best album possible, you know, and and we're in the process of doing that whilst doing some amazing shows here at home and and planning planning for a busy year next year, but. Uh, we're working hard on the album and, and we're excited about it. You know, there's a couple of songs already that we've recorded that, you know, I, I think is, is some of our best work yet, you know, so it's an exciting time for us and you never know what the future will hold. That's one thing about this industry. You know, we've, we've had ups, ups and downs now over these last five albums, like, and, and things have changed. The, the, in, the, the industry has changed. God, it changes every, every two years now, never mind every five or 10 years. Like when we started, you know, I mean, when we started out, there was people still buying physical copies and, you know, there was this new thing coming in called downloads. I know there isn't even any downloads. It's Spotify is, is is the thing that's taken over in streaming. And so we 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 continue to try and evolve with the, with the industry. Try, but as I say, try and worry about the things that are control that we can control and 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 do our best. And God, that was a really long answer to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's a great answer to the questions. And. That leads me to to wonder: Is there life for you outside of the Coronas, or is the Coronas really everything that takes up every moment of the day? You're not sleeping. Um, I think I think we're getting to the stage now where we we've learned to try and enjoy the journey as well. And and you know, I, I remember when when we did get we did sign to Ireland and move to London, and then it, it wasn't really working out. Uh, I was getting a bit down, and you know, I sort of felt like this is more from a personal perspective. I think like Danny, the singer of the Coronas was what defined me as a person. And I think now I'm a, I'm in a better place where I don't, I don't think that's the only thing that defines me. And I do have a life outside the band, even though music is my passion, it is everything. It is the best thing ever performing. I love it. It's, it's the, it's the only drug that I need in my life. I don't, I don't even drink alcohol before I go on stage. I just enjoy it too much. 
and it clouds it for me and, and performing and creating music is the, probably the most important thing in my life but at the same time it's not to be all and end all and, and you know if, if for whatever reason it all had to end tomorrow I, I'd be happy with me as a person and, and you know and I, yeah I think we've all sort of gotten to the stage now where we, we can see we can we appreciate how lucky we are to do what we do we appreciate how lucky we are to to have this as a job and we still get to you know make a living from it and but also we've sort of matured a little i mean graham our bass player and connor our drummer are both married now and you know and Noxie, our bass player has has a little baby and you know and juno is, is so special and, and you know his, his daughter and so i don't know i think as you get older maybe as you get into your 30s you sort of you see life maybe slightly differently and i think we've grown up in this band we were together when we were you know, in, in school pretty much. And, and we got going in, in, in university and college and, you know, we went through our twenties being banned and, and now we're at a sort of different stage of our career where we're, we're, as I say, we're, we're appreciating it. We're enjoying it. But at the same time, I don't think it defines, defines us as people. And, and we're, we have our lives outside of it as well. And that's not to say it feels like a nine to five job at all. We still are so passionate about it. We're so ambitious and, you know, we talk every day about the band, and especially now that we we have our own label and we're all more involved now than we ever, you know, and, and it's not just, okay, we're rehearsing next week, see you then. We're every day, there's stuff going on, there's interviews and there's remixes and there's always stuff to be talked about. When are we recording next? What are we writing? Who's doing what? And social media, and it's just, it's constant. It is, it is a, a lifestyle being in the band these days, and we love it, but as I say, at the same time, it doesn't really define us as people. I think we're, we're, we have lives outside of it as well, and, and I think we're just aware of that, I suppose. Great. So in closing, Danny, any last words for the kids? <laughs> any last words for the kids? Come see us in Mercury Lounge in November. They're going to be great shows, and we're very excited about the new stuff and keep an eye out for our new album. And, and uh, yeah. yeah, come see us. We're a good live band. Last, but definitely not least, is my June 2019 interview with Gin Blossoms frontman Robin Wilson. The Gin Blossoms have been at it for over 30 years, and the group is arguably selling more concert tickets now than it ever has, even if many people view the group as, unfortunately, a 90s group. Robin not only spoke with me about what the Gin Blossoms currently have going on, but why he calls Long Island, New York his home, the influence that the band Big Star had on him, and how he views the Gin Blossoms in the grand scheme of things. He also talked about his recent work with the Smithereens, which may lead to a studio album in the near future. For those who haven't been following you guys, which is an unfortunate group of people, I must say, what is happening with the Gin Blossoms at the moment? Well, let's see. We got a lot going on. We're uh, we're, all, we're in the middle of a tour. We just uh, we're taking a break from Collective Soul, and um, we're going to be out on our own for a few weeks, and then we have some time off. And there's some exciting shit happening during our break, and then um, I'm going to then we're going back on tour with Collective Soul at the end of July. Between now and then, I'm really excited because uh, the Arizona Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame is inducting uh, like a bunch of my friends. Um, three bands that we came up with and the nightclub we used to play every Tuesday for years and years. And it's this club that I played happy hour uh, every Friday night at six o'clock for God, like a fucking decade. 
I played at this place and they're inducting at the club. It's called the Long Longs. And then um, my friends, the Pistoleros and Dead Hot Workshop. These are two great bands that uh, we've known since their inception. Or they're both being inducted that night. And I just got a call from, from one of the Pistoleros and uh, they've asked me to accept uh, Doug Hopkins' induction plaque on his behalf. Well, so that's, I'm very proud of that. That's wonderful so, um, on things coming full circle. And you guys, in my yeah. opinion, were from Arizona before. It was cool to be from Arizona. You know, you you made it. Let me let me clarify that. It's before you knew they were cool. That it was cool. Um, <laughs> we all of the, all of these bands that are being inducted along with ourselves. You know, we had this really great music scene in the late '80s and early '90s, and um, we were the first band to get signed out of Tempe and then all of these other bands uh, got major label recording contracts as well. At one point there were seven bands in Tempe with major label recording contracts and uh, three of them are being inducted on July 2nd. Um, so uh, yeah, like you say, full circle. It's, uh, it's re really going to be a cool night and uh, not only will I be there to accept uh, Doug's plaque, but also I'll be performing that night with uh, on acoustic guitar. I'm going to be opening the show with a half an hour acoustic set. Uh, I really couldn't be any more proud. You know? And then beyond being the first band out of that scene to get signed, I think that you guys were also the first band when you were doing the Gas Giants, you were the first band to do a digital or an MP3 kind of album. Is that true? Our record in Gas Giants, our record was uh, available on, uh, yeah, as a download uh, pretty early in the thing. We were with a label called Atomic Pop, and they were the first what you would call internet based label. And um, they were really ahead of their time. It didn't, didn't work out. The label ended up uh, crashing uh, by like 2000, but you know, for a few years, they really were ahead of their time. And, uh, I was, I was label mates. There were only three acts on the, on the label. It was gas giants, public enemy and ice tea. <laughs> well, I was going to ask the follow-up question about public enemy and you beat me to the punch right there. And I'm wondering if it ever came up in meeting Chuck D. You were both Long Island guys uh, by proxy of you living in Valley Stream and him uh, being in <clears throat> Roosevelt and Baldwin until recent years. Did that ever come up? Did you ever talk to Chuck about that? No, actually, I, I never got to meet Chuck. I did meet Ice-T a couple times, but I, I never did meet Chuck. And so uh, I'm sure he's only vaguely aware of that he was on a label with a band called gas giants and he probably had no idea who I was, but, uh, I have uh, plenty of public enemy on my iPod to this day. Who doesn't? <laughs> I think the, the, the bigger question is, and so I've had the pleasure <laughs> yeah. of seeing the Jim Blossoms live. I think the last time was at Mel Cahey's, which was a bunch of years ago. When I got to see the band, it was interesting to see how many of the songs were hits and singles as opposed to, the average person going, yeah, hey, jealousy till I hear from you and all that. I'm curious when you realized that, that your whole set list was practically songs that were on the radio. Oh, probably around, uh, you know, the mid 2000s, you know, when we sort of kind of realized that we had a pretty solid legacy of hits. 
But, you know, it really wasn't until about, you know, we were rebuilding our brand all through the 2000s, and things didn't really start to pick up for us again until about 2011, 2012. Um, in 2012, we went out on the Summerland tour with Everclear and Sugar Ray, and um, that's when things really started to roll for us because we, you know, we were in great company. We were in front of large audiences, and uh, we really shined. You know, and uh, what amazed me more than anything else on that tour is the other bands kind of looked to us as sort of leaders and we kind of set the standard for professionalism and uh, performance. And uh, I remember being sort of amazed how much respect we were getting <laughs> from from our tour mates and, uh, and how much more fucked up all of those bands were than we were. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was the thing that really kind of amazed me is that, you know, we in in that company, you know, it seemed like we were really one of the more together partnerships. You know, ever since then, um, you know, things have been getting better and better for us in terms of the quality of the offers we get and the uh, the, the size of the audience and, the you know, just the uh, the, the clear evidence of our of our legacy and our, our place in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know? And, uh, I know that we're like a mid-level band. I know where we belong in the grand scheme of things. We're never going to be hall of famers. There's so many other great bands that are going to get there before us. But, um, we were a part of the big story and, uh, of the, of the, the big rock and roll songbook. And, uh, I'm extraordinarily proud of that and the fact that we're still together after 31 years and we're we're making you know we we're making music as good as we ever have we're selling more concert tickets than we ever did we've kind of got our shit together after all this time well i think another thing to your credit when you compare the jim blossoms to a lot of other bands that were on the radio you know when some of your songs were the biggest your influences were the right bands. So, for example, Big Star is one of the bands I hear a lot of influence from. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. When we were first signed, we, you know, we had our, we were given a short list of producers and we were asked, you know, what producers do you want to work with? And, you know, we threw out a lot of names, uh, including Don Dixon and Mitch Easter. And um, Ed Stasium was another one that I really wanted to work with. But when we found out the, the, the label was pushing John Hampton on us. They were they were working with him on another with another band of theirs. And when I remember the moment, Jesse told me, "Well, John Hampton's the guy that recorded Tommy Keene and the Replacements, and this is the studio that was built for Big Star." And right then, all of the other considerations evaporated. And I remember saying to Jesse, "That's the guy. Let's." let's go record with John and, you know, to be a part of that legacy, big star, the replacements, that was a really a significant moment for our band and a, and a turning point in our history because John had a huge influence on us and uh, he became one of my, one of my closest friends and a, you know, a mentor and a, and a brother and uh, someone who I'm always going to remember as uh, one of the more important relationships I've ever had in my life. And moving ahead a couple of decades there, when did you first move to Long Island? 
My ex-wife is from Valley Stream, and uh, we got married in 96, so I started spending a lot of time in, in Valley Stream around then. And then uh, when our son was born, uh, it, that picked up a lot. And we, my son was raised in Arizona for a few years, and then when it was time for him to start kindergarten in 2004, I moved to Long Island full-time. And so I've been there full-time for 15 years now and um you know i'm i'm slowly getting used to it you know i yeah i really honestly i don't much like it i hate the weather i every time i get in my car i get pissed off you know it's just so crowded and um the roads suck so bad and the you know you you go to king cullen and you spend two hundred dollars on groceries and you don't receive a single word of greeting or courtesy from the <laughs> from the yeah the person ringing up your groceries you know and so you know it's been this i've been adapting over the years and you know for a long time i thought i was going to move home to arizona as soon as i could when my son graduates from high school next year but now i've decided at least for the time being i'm going to stick it out for a while you know i uh, i like my house where i'm living in valley stream i just built a really beautiful home recording studio and uh i'm you know i'm gonna miss my son if i'm if i move home to arizona full time so you know for all these years i've i've continued to visit arizona frequently i i still have a boat uh, in arizona that i visit every month and uh, you know close friends and my brother and um i you know i've been going back to arizona quite a bit all, all these years and so i've decided i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep my house in valley stream and i'll continue to visit arizona when i can well valley stream is one of those towns that super intrigues me because if you think about all the entertainers that have either come from there or live from there and and if you talk about the people that have come from there steve buscemi jim brewer fred armison etc i think maybe everlast was from there and living mm. there now i believe shaggy is there I've heard rumors yeah. of other entertainers, yet Long Island has never been connected in terms of all the people being on the same grid. Or am I wrong? Is there an artistic community that I don't really know about? Well, I don't really know about it either. You know, uh, I do this open mic night at, uh, at the coffee shop, Sip This, but that's about as much of the music scene as I've really found. But those names you just mentioned... Um, uh, Brewer, Bersemi, Armisen, they all went to the same high school uh, that my son is going to now and my ex-wife uh, went to. And I, I just recently did a benefit concert at my son's high school uh, with Jim Brewer. And so uh, my ex-wife is the floor director at Saturday Night Live. So she's known Jim. Well, she's known him since high school, but then they worked together on Saturday Night Live. And then there was a time when Steve Buscemi hosted Saturday Night Live and Jim Brewer was in the cast and my ex-wife was the floor director. And I told her, you have got to get a photograph for the high school yearbook. You know, the three of you, three graduates of Valley Stream Central, all performing on Saturday Night Live at the same time. That's that's really something. So, uh, 
Uh, I think they've turned out more thespians and comedians than they have uh, rock stars, but uh, there is something to be said for that. And did your moving to Valley Stream entirely have to do with that's where she was from? Or is it, hey, it's easy to fly out of that uh, town, you know, it's so close to JFK and LaGuardia? <laughs> no, it is. A- anymore, that's a part of it for me. But no, it's specifically because that's where she's from. And we were we were living with her parents uh, for many years. They were elderly and uh, you know, had a lot of health issues. So we lived with her parents there. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like meathead from all in the family. You know, I was like this sort of futuristic son-in-law living with these really old fashioned Italians from Brooklyn. It was a, a, a very different experience from my upbringing. And, um, it was a glimpse into a, a whole nother culture. It still is, you know. I mean, Long Island is about as different from Arizona as Iceland. That's really funny. So, you know, looking ahead into the future a little bit, will we ever see a solo album from you personally? I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to do it, but at the same time, you know, I, I generally want to save my best material for Jim Blossoms. And also, I just started writing songs uh, with the Smithereens in the hopes that we're going to make a record together sometime. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to squeeze in a solo record too, but um, we'll see. I'm hoping next year to record another Jim Blossoms record and a Smithereens record. So. Wow, that's wonderful, and that's, I guess, another path yeah. that you and Marshall Crenshaw crossed and both of you uh, working with the Smithereens there. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's pretty funny. Again, you know, going back, you know, 30 years, if you had told me, one day in the future, you're going to be in a band, you know, that has hits on the radio. You're going to write a hit song with Marshall Crenshaw. You're going to make a record with Don Dixon and Mitch Easter. And as a bonus, you get to sing lead for the smithereens. You know, uh, it's, it's just hard to believe how all of that kind of came around. And it really sort of validates the, the path that I've been on all this time, you know, in closing, <laughs> any last words for the kids? Well, uh, for the kids, uh, don't do drugs, stay in school, uh, rock away. Okay. That works. Yeah, that works. That's, uh, that, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good slogan right there. And that's yeah. why you weren't the screwed up man on the Summerland tour. <laughs> I guess so. I suppose that's part of it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. (laughs) 